the thing I want to talk about is, is how do you wrestle with darkness? How do you confront it? Um, I think we kind of understand, yeah, the darkness in the world, the gospel, and, and you know, it, 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 it is bringing light to darkness. But what about the darkness among us? What about the darkness among the saints? How do we confront it? And Paul talks about as cho- being children of love. And there's three things that I think he uh, helps us uh, how he guides us into learning how to confront darkness. It is that you, to be children of love who recognize the light. First, recognize the light. We see light in this, and instantly we, we connect it to other metaphors of light. But there's a, a significant way in which he's changing a little bit about what light is. Um, and in recognizing light, uh, I think we shine um, by, by eliminating idolatry. We shine by eliminating idolatry. And lastly, I think he is asking us to enjoy God. Enjoy God. So first, recognize the light. Paul's reason for not being partners with those in darkness is because of our own exposure to light. And this exposure has done something to us and given us a significant authority, the authority to expose he further says it is shameful to even mention that what the obedient do, what the disobedient do in secret, in the dark. So no doubt there's sexual immorality that he is alluding to. There's crude jokes being shared between friends in secret or in confidence. And he's saying the solution to this is not to run away from it. Uh, yeah, don't partner with them. Don't, for those who are like saying this is okay and this is right, he's saying don't partner in that. But the instruction in this passage is to expose it. And in order to expose it, we need to know what is the light. And y'all, here's the thing. In this passage, Paul tells them, what does he say? He says, you are light. You are light. You are light. Yes, we are light. And we are supposed to expose. And this is hard, right? We are, we're not used to hearing that. We used to like we used to settle into this idea that we are just broken people, correct? But we used to settle in that we are broken people and God, Jesus is the light. And so thank God for grace and his light because he's gonna handle it for us. But Paul is making a little bit of a turn and saying, You are light, you expose what is done in the darkness. This this passage was heavily convicting this week. It actually messed up my life a little bit. And in reading it, I was like, oh man, I, I actually need to confess my sins to somebody. I can't read this. You can't talk about it. You can't read this and just and not think I need to confess. Something needs to be exposed. And so I, went, I, I, just, I just texted a few friends and said, yo, I, I need to talk to you. I need to just confess to you a little bit. And I got on the phone to, 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 do, to do that with trusted friends, to go to them and, say, and just say, okay, I'm about to lay everything that I'm dealing with on the line. Like, I'm just going to expose myself to you. Everything that's, like, hidden from some of the closest people to me, I'm going to just say to you. That is an embarrassing moment. But here's the deal. When I did that, the unexpected compassion and care that I received reflected the grace of God. It put flesh on the grace of God. Y'all, some, one person I called even said, look, I hear you and I absolve you. 
of your sin. They affirmed me in my worthiness. They were, in a lot of ways, the voice of God to me. They did not replace the voice of God, but they, they put flesh on the voice of God. They spoke truths that lined up with his voice, that, I, that, that did something to my soul. They were a light, and I was illuminated again. God is the source of light, and he has deposited that light in us through his spirit. And when we come against darkness, we should always illuminate. We should expose it. And those coming out of darkness will be better for it. But but we have to realize that we are made to be light. God wants us to be light. We are supposed to be able to step in dark places and illuminate it. But the problem is our lives We look at our own lives and we don't know if we're worthy of that. We don't know if our lives are worthy to be imitated. And Paul is saying, but you are light. God made you that way. What I'm telling y'all, some kind of way God has included us in being light to the world. His words to us, wake up to that. Wake up to it. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. He will show you what it means to be light. But it doesn't come automatically. It is there in us. Paul, I think Paul is pushing us to realize you are light. He's saying to this church, you are light, but you need to get rid of these idols. How do we do that? I think our shine is connected to the idols in our life. And so I want to talk about how we shine by eliminating idols. Holistic purity has become less trendy of late. Um, Do y'all remember purity rings? Purity rings? Yeah, kind of. Some of y'all like, yeah. (laughs) Threw mine away. you laugh. See, I, did, I knew some people would respond because conviction. Okay. But y'all remember purity rings? Y'all remember purity rings? Why did we not like purity rings, right? Because it was like a sign that you had to like wear on your finger to say, I'm going to stay away from, like, I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from sex. That's, that's what it was. That's what most people are like. I'm going to stay away from sex. And that, that's all. So even if you had some, a great service like that, that covered all of sexuality and the gospel and how, it, how, how God made us as humans and how we should relate to each other rightly. And this ring is a symbol of like being to God. All you heard was, I got to stay away from sex. That's it. But I, and so I, I think it's become less trendy because as the emerging church has, has kind of grown and folk have started thinking, um, somehow they thought this is too restrictive and it's, it's more pharisaical than it is holy. And so somehow we've just kind of thrown that out. But I wonder, did we throw too much of it out? I mean, check this out. If you thought a purity ring was strict, then what do you think about Paul in this passage? This Ephesians church is surrounded by sexual practices that even in our day would be shameful. 
It is not just fornication. It is prostitution. It is, it is sex with children. It is all these, these things that are a part of the society around them. And this, this church is becoming dangerously close to looking like the society around them. Their behavior is starting to mirror the culture around them instead of God. And I think this is the utmost importance for us to understand that this is an idolatry. An idolatry. And maybe that's the part of a purity ring that was good. It shouldn't necessarily be a reminder not to slip up. It was a symbol that we will fight to serve God, even with this part of our lives. A reminder that there is grace and love in that fight, especially when you fail. The convicting question that came up for me in this is, are there ways in which our lives reflect the world more than or rather than the holy God that we serve? Here's the thing. When we see Jesus in Scripture, the religious leaders see him as a drunkard and a sinner. And we are down for this. We like this. This makes sense to us. Yes, we need to be among sinners because they need the light. They need, they need to know Jesus. But here's the part we miss. Jesus had purpose in everything he did, everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, it was not a question whose side he was on. There was no, no decision that he made because he wanted to make people feel more comfortable. Every decision he made was out of respect and love and reverence and commitment to God and his kingdom. And I wonder if that's us. Uh, have we made decisions that reflect or trying to make the world more comfortable? Or do our, our decisions totally rooted in God, the one who made the world? Uh, my, my logic is this. If you make your decisions totally out of a commitment to God, the one who made all of the earth, who understands the brokenness of the world better than anyone, he will make you into someone who is both challenging but also loving to the world, making the world comfortable, make, trying to capitulate to that is not our, it's not our responsibility necessarily. I have two, I have friends named uh, Mike and Sam Kling. Some of y'all know them. Uh, they're a couple, and uh, they're married, uh, and uh, they're a part of Navigators, a campus ministry called Navigators. Navigators was affectionately known as Never Daters, Never Daters. <laughs> and this was, this, uh, this information, this is not my critique, this is coming from Mike and Sam, who was a part of Navigators. They said that, man, we were Never Daters, and they would have all of these uh, gender-specific gatherings. They would always split up men and women. I was part of InterVarsity, so every campus group had, like, what it was known for, and this was definitely what Navigators was known for. Every, every other uh, student was like, yeah, they, they, they do so much, so much gender-specific stuff. What is happening? Um, and people would even have, like, these, maybe these theological reasonings of why that was kind of odd. It's like, that doesn't reflect the realities of, of, of campus. Like, why are they still uh, having all of these gender-specific uh, uh, gatherings? Why are they splitting people up so much? But I, I, I came to recognize that it was because they were trying to be holy. They were trying to be holy in a place, especially college campus, where, um, where sexuality and, 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 and just broken relationship between men and women is prevalent. They were trying to do things differently, better. And and, and Mike and Sam's story showed me what it looks like. What does that produce? 
You see, Mike, uh, somewhere around 2010, uh, was at a gathering at like a concert, like a benefit, actually a benefit concert for Haiti that a lot of underground people um, uh, participated in. And they weren't dating, but he saw Sam and somehow had this vision um, from God of like who she was. And he says this, God showed me her in like layers. He said the first and most important layer was that she was godly. She had godly character, honest, uh, acted with integrity, and discipled women. Like she was a godly and she was, she was a godly woman and she was God's. And then the second layer was that she was nice. She was friendly. She was funny. She was musically artistic. This was about just who she was as a person. Um, she loved outdoors and, and he thought that was amazing. And then the last thing he said, the last thing I saw that she was physically beautiful. Physically beautiful. That's how Mike talks. So he don't say she was fine. He said she was physically <laughs> beautiful. He saw all that. And thank God he didn't do like the creepy spiritual thing and say, hey, God said we should date. He didn't do that. In fact, Mike didn't even ask her out. You know why he didn't? Because he said God was working out something in me. I actually realized I didn't know how to be in a relationship, like just a friend relationship with men or women. And God was working that out in me. So he saw this. He saw he had this spiritual moment, saw this, had a little crush on her. Y'all, three years later is when he felt he was ready to, like, actually be in a relationship with her. And he asked her out, and she said yes. And, you know, and Sam says, that's when I revealed to him that I had been in love with him for three years. <laughs> Could you imagine what would have happened to that, I don't know, that love if Mike, who did not know how to be in relationship had to just pursued it anyway. He had to just paid attention to like his feelings. And it would have been a spiritual thing. He was like, I saw this from God. I need to pursue this. But everything that he did was out of obedience to God. His every move, he was listening to God. It was he had this undying devotion to God. And even this part of his life thought, I need to just follow Jesus. This is the holiness that this strange gender separation type technique that they had. This is what it produced. This pursuit of holiness produced this holy moment between these two people. For this church in Ephesus, they've forgotten about the call to sexual purity. Paul is reminding them that anything that to pursue disconnected from God's will is idolatry. For us, I believe the threat is how we use our freedom. As we do theology, as we lead microchurches, as we go and try to be a missional force in the world, as we try to like really sink next to God's heart and be his church in the world, there are things that we feel free to do. We feel free. and to, Some of us, we talked about drinking. We feel free to drink. We, we, we see the, 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 maybe the pharisaical teachings of our past, and we say, that wasn't quite right. I feel okay to drink. And so we do that. How we do relationships. But the threat for us is how we use our freedom. And the threat for us is when we see those things and we make decisions based on trying to just go against what we think is wrong. Instead of seeing those things and saying, that wasn't quite right. God, what is your will? What is your will? 
It's a thin line, but it's a significant difference. Doing things for freedom's sake with no godly purpose attached to them or because we believe it is even the underground thing to do does not suffice. Do not make the underground your God. Your choices should emanate from God first. They should be a reflection of God. And y'all, I'm not saying, yeah, to drink is wrong. I'm saying wherever you go, have a holy, godly reason why you are doing it. My prayer is that we be like Paul, who when instructing the Corinthian church on how to love those who were weaker and less knowledgeable, who were, had this problem with eating meats that were given to idols. Paul, was, Paul said this, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. So that would not cause them to fall. Paul had an undying commitment to God and an undying commitment to his people, and he made decisions based on that, not out of some fixed uh, reasoning based on what was happening. It was connected to God, connected to people. What does your life choices reflect? See, how do we become light? We eliminate this idol of forgetting about God, of trying to mirror or cozy up or be comfortable or make the world comfortable with us. We, we remove that and we follow God. And this is the what. I think there's more about the how. How do we eliminate these idols? How do you eliminate these idols? This is a hard passage, and, and Paul says not even a hint of sexual immorality, and that feels really hard. And it seems like Paul should give us a, uh, just as intense an example of how we should be. So if you tell me not a hint of sexuality, you need to say, how are you going to do this? You need to tell me how I'm going to do this. I believe it does, and I believe he does, and I believe it's simple. It is to enjoy God, to fix your eyes on God, and to enjoy Him. Find out, he says this, he says two things that are similar. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. And then again, he says, understand the Lord's will. This is his, this is his answer to those who are, when he says, don't, don't be caught up in sexual immorality. Find out what the Lord's will is. Understand God. This is the joy of Jesus in John 17, where he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In John 17, there is this joy that Jesus has as he looks at his God and prepares for his death and says, I've done what you've called me to do. I, I know your will. I, those you called to me, I've taken care of them. I've done what you asked me to. And there's a joy in it. To know and understand the will of God is the ultimate and truest enlightenment. How do we ruthlessly root out idolatry in our lives? It cannot come out of some mundane, graceless discipline that's connected more to fear and unhealthy and an unhealthy desire to please people. It should rather come out of a deep gravitation toward the wonderful, grace-filled mystery of Jesus. But we need to know that darkness will not have any of this. Darkness will not have any of this. Darkness wants us to rest and settle into compromise and self-gratification where we bend ever so slightly to accommodate, accommodate the beliefs of the world. And this will dim the wonder and joy of trying to understand our majestic and most holy God. And y'all stay with me. This, is, this, this word has convicted me. Darkness 
veils our once curious eyes and gives us temporary satisfaction as a substitute for the true, for true sight that God gives. Darkness replaces the joy of our salvation with a cycle of sorrow and cheap thrills. Darkness is a vile and belligerent siren who sings our heavenly dreams away while we chase its false beauty only to drown in lost hope in a godless song. Darkness tries to persuade us that the pursuit of God is too long of a journey. That we should settle for low sacrifice and easy joyless satisfaction. And Paul's charge is to be light by searching for God's will. This is the solution to the grasp of darkness. This is how we eliminate idols. We search for the will of God. We 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 find we 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 go on a journey of learning who he is and what his will is for our lives. When you are in the clutches of addiction or in the middle of that inappropriate argument or when you are trying to figure out which way to go when it comes to things that seem just like they have a grasp on your heart, search for God's will. But this is hard. What makes this hard? What makes it hard to be in sin and choose to go towards God? What makes that hard? Part of it is we know going towards God means I have to confess to other people. And maybe some of us feel like going towards God means he's going to see me. And I'm going to have to look him in the face and he's going to see my ugliness. Going towards God is awkward and hard and we don't feel worthy. Going towards God has the potential to make us look bad. Yeah, I, I, so I recently uh, picked up, well, not recently, but I've been playing tennis, right? So there's this place in South St. Pete where there's a lot of black folk get together to play pickup tennis. Crazy, I know. Y'all are like, what? That is, that's, what's this fictional world? No, it's true. Uh, y'all, but I'm picking it up. And these people, uh, these tennis, what I see is tennis pros. These, um, they're not tennis pros, but they're older. I, got, I remember going to court for the first time. They were older. Was, everybody was like 50 and up. I was like, this is going to be like practice. So I got on. I got destroyed <laughs> very quickly. I mean, embarrassingly destroyed. Like, not just like, oh, you're hitting the ball out. Like, I'm going one way, they hit the other way. I'm falling on the ground hard trying to get back to stuff. It's so bad. And I was like, I don't want to go back. But if I wanted to be better, I needed to go back. And I remember just feeling de- destroyed until this one guy named Mark, he would just play with me. He was like, dude, you're doing amazing. He would just encourage me like, yeah, you're hitting it out, but you're doing amazing. You're doing amazing. <laughs> and it felt good. I was like, well, thank you, because this feels like crap. <laughs> My friend Philip, some of y'all know Philip Hennessy, classically trained trumpet player. He says first time he tried to play jazz in jazz band, he was terrified because there would be notes, but then there would be places where he was supposed to ad-lib. So there's places in the notes where it's like, no, those notes, and then ad-lib. And they'll have an example of like an ad-lib. So he said the first time he did it, he would just ad-lib the, the sample. He just played the sample. And the whole band would like stop and be like, what are you doing? Like, it's supposed to be freestyle. Um, 
He said, so the second time he's like, okay, I'm going to ad-lib. And he said he just totally, totally, totally embarrassingly failed. He said, finally his friend came up to him and said, look, man, the problem is you're afraid to suck. You need to suck. The only way for Phil to get better was that he needed to just be okay with not being good. And I think for us, that is it. If you're ever in a place where you, you see the underground and you feel like, man, this is gl- the glit, you get caught up in the glit and glamour of it. The, the evil part of that is that you can feel like you are supposed to start things or do things in a way that's, that's just slick and good. But in reality, you cannot be afraid to just look bad. This is why we stay in darkness and we hide from God. We're afraid to look bad. But it's only in that, in that, that, that turning towards God. It's like when you turn away from idols, that same door that you step out that leads you out of idolatry leads you into the grace of God. It leads you into God's presence. You can't be afraid to look bad. I want to invite the worship team up. Are you afraid to look bad? Paul's call is to enjoy God, and it has to be as you step out of idolatry and into the threshold of God's grace. The call away from the bondage of idolatry is an invitation to the kingdom of God. The doorway of idolatry is the entrance into God's presence. This is what it means to be light. When you are illuminated, when you are illuminated, there is no room for darkness because you step out of it. You know what helps you get over this anxiety of looking bad. A little drink. A little drink. At least you had it right. A little drink helps everything. When we are in darkness, we often want to hide. We We want to be unexposed. This shows up as stubbornness and a lack of humility when we're confronted. Or we just don't confess. Or we tightly hold on to our way of thinking with no humility to entertain the insight of other people. Other trusted saints. And maybe the most sad of situations is when we are in darkness. And we believe God's greatest concern is our transgression. But what if God's greatest What if God's greatest concern is not that we have sin, but that we recover from it? You have to realize in this passage, Paul's greatest concern is not necessarily the sin. The sin is there. He has to call it out. But his concern is that they will be light, that they remember that they are children of light. He wants them to go towards 
the source of that light, that they would enjoy being filled with the Spirit, that they would enjoy God, go towards the joy of God. This is the evil clutch of darkness. This is His way that it would keep you away from enjoying God. And Paul wants this church to be so filled with the Spirit that they speak a little funny. That their language, their common interactions start sounding a little something like hymns and songs. That's some serious spiritual inebriation. And it's an important part of God's call to us this morning. The call is this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and drink in the spirit to your language sounds a little funny because you can't help but sing praises to each other as you enjoy God what if we walk as people who when we recognize and are convicted of our sin we hear the voice of God say hey I want you to enjoy me come on I got something for you to enjoy come to me What if we were so much like light to each other that when we were confronted in hard things, we we could feel the conviction and it's real, but we also feel this strange joy of partnership and being exposed. God has something for us this morning. I think he wants to wake us up and whatever you want to call that demon that makes you scared to be exposed. I think he wants to get rid of that this morning. He wants you to enjoy him this morning. To let his spirit fill you till you sing your dreams back into your heart. Sing until light lifts the veil of darkness and the joy of your salvation is reclaimed. He wants to wake us up. We the sleepers. We who parts we who have parts that feel dead. Christ wants to shine on you this morning. Would you let him shine on you? On the night that he was betrayed. Lord took bread and he broke it saying this is my body eat in remembrance of me and likewise after supper he took the cup said this is the new covenant in my blood as often as you drink drink in remembrance of me And as we respond by coming to this table, I want to do something. I want to pray over you. I want to kind of lead you with some prayerful questions and then allow you to respond by coming to the table. So why don't you bow your heads. Lord, would you speak? The first question is simply this. What needs to be exposed in your life? 
would you speak? What needs to be exposed in your life? second question is like it but slightly different what is God calling you to expose there's someone or some group that he's calling you to go and to expose some way in which you're strayed away from his will what is God calling you to expose Spirit speak and answer this question where does shame come up for you that leaves you not wanting to suck not wanting to look bad where is that shame what is that shame Lastly, what does obedience look like? What does obedience look like? hearts that are heavy burdened right now where grace is escaping them where you are asking us to live in the tension of intense working out of our faith you're asking us to be exposed and to work towards holiness while also resting in the grace of a God who loves us throughout all the process who never leads us through the whole process, God. For those who are, whose hearts are heavy and they're leaning towards a graceless reality, God, would you bring them back right now? And God, for those of us who feel like exposure is just too hard, God, I ask that you would bring true confidants around them. Folk who they trust, God. Folk who will walk with them and love them as they as they really try to just mirror and reflect you, God. And Lord, 
Lord, ways you're calling us to be obedient, God. Help us not to shrink away from it, but to go towards you, God. Help us to understand that there is a joy that you have for us as we expose and as we are exposed, God. God, make us as a family more holy. Keep doing business with the Lord. When you're ready to say yes to just what he's brought up in your heart. When you're ready to say yes to him wholly and completely. The body and blood of Jesus. Come and partake in it. It's for you.